Hello, everyone. Welcome to our weekend services here at Trinity Church. I am so excited and thrilled that you are a part of this weekend. We are beginning our series in the book of Acts. Every year, right after Easter, we pick up where we left off the previous year, teaching chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the book of Acts. I am thrilled that you're going to be a part of this new year, 2020, uh, studying through the book of Acts for the next couple of months. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. If you remember last year, we finished chapter 17, and Paul was in Athens, and his spirit was stirred within him when he saw that the entire city was given over to idolatry. Right after Paul was in Athens, he takes a journey to Corinth. And it's here in the 18th chapter that, that Paul, we find Paul in the city of Corinth, and eventually it's from this moment in Paul's missionary journeys that he plants the great church there at Corinth, where eventually he writes two letters to the churches there in Corinth. So we're going to begin by reading from Acts chapter 18 beginning in verse 1. So if you're, in your place, if you're in a place where you can, stand to your feet out of love and respect for the reading of God's Word. And here we go. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them for they were tent makers just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the study of your word, the Holy Scriptures. It is an honor and a privilege to be able to study the Word of God. Thank you. Pandemic, no pandemic. Plague, no plague. Pestilence, no pestilence. COVID-19, no COVID-19. We thank you that we can still gather together and study the Word of God. Thank you that you're going to speak to us through the Word today by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive your Word. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You're not already seated. You can be seated. I'm so excited for what we're going to be learning as we are back in the book of Acts. There are three thoughts I want to leave with you from this section of Scripture that we just read. What all world changers have in common. What all world changers have in common. And really, the title of the message is Tent Makers. Tent Makers. So here's the first point. People of influence have friends. What I notice about this first section of the 18th chapter of the book of Acts is as Paul leaves Athens and he arrives in a place called Corinth, and Corinth was, it was the London, it was the Paris, it was the Tokyo, it was the New York City of Rome of the world at that time. It was a happening place. And so Paul goes to the center of life, really, in the Roman Empire at that time, Corinth. And it was one of the most vile and corrupt 
corrupt and wicked cities in the world at that time. And yet here's this man of God sent by God, and he's going to plant a great church there in the heart of Satan's seat in the known world at that time. But the very first thought that comes to, came to me in, in studying, preparing this lesson is that people of influence have friends. Once again, if you look at verse 2 of Acts 18, it says that the Apostle Paul found, he found a certain Jew named Aquila. He found this man named Aquila who had an amazing wife whose name was Priscilla. So notice the, the, the term, the word found. Paul, coming from Athens, he goes to Corinth, and he finds a certain Jew, another fellow Jew by the name of Aquila and his wife Priscilla. And this is what stuck out to me. Paul found this couple. He found them. I looked up that Greek word found there in, in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, and the word literally means to find after searching for something, right? To find something. In life, good things come to those who are looking and are searching. You have to find certain things in life. You have to discover certain things in life. It's no coincidence in Proverbs 18, 22, it says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Those of you that are single out there, you, a wife's not going to come knocking at your door, right? Uh, it's not, you order a wife on Amazon and she arrives within a week. It doesn't work that way. You got to find a good wife. You got to be looking. You've got to be searching. You know, when we speak of salvation, sometimes we refer to our relationship with Christ and our relationship with God as, I found God, right? I found my faith. I found Christ. Now, theologically, we know it's not so much that God was lost, but we were lost, and it wasn't that we found God, but God found us. But still, there was a moment when we we're searching for something. We knew that something was missing in our life, and we, we know that, as Augustine said, we have a God-shaped void in our heart that only Christ can fill, right? So ultimately, every human being is searching for something. Really, they're searching for someone. I remember when I was a young single, I felt called to the ministry. I had to find a Bible school to attend. Uh, every job I've ever had from my very first paying job working for Pizza Hut when I was 14 and a half until this current place of employment, Trinity Church, Inc., I have had to find a job. Maybe some of you, a job found you. But in all my entire life, I had to look. I had to search to find every job I've ever had. I had to find my wife. I can remember uh, when I was single, I was looking far and wide, searching for a wife, and I found her, right? Because she was lost, and uh, she didn't know she was supposed to marry me. But I found her at my former church, amen. Uh, I found this church back in 2001 when I realized that I was in a place of transition in my life and that God was going to move me into a senior pastor role living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I had to find, this church didn't find me, right? They were searching for a senior pastor, but I had to 
jump online. This is way back 2001. I think they had just invented the internet back then. <laughs> like close proximity. And I found this church in Lubbock, Texas, West Texas, that was in need of a senior pastor. And so I sent my resume and the rest is history. Paul gets to Corinth, doesn't know a soul, but in a serendipitous way, by divine appointment, he finds this key strategic person, Aquila and Priscilla. Good things come in life to those who are searching, to those who are looking, to those who are in a position to find the good things that God has for them. Now, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, I was fa- I'm fascinated by how a root can find the sun. Think of a microscopic crack in concrete. And I have a picture for you. And look at how this root can find this small opening in the pavement or this small opening in this asphalt. And that root searches and searches and searches to find the light. And when it finds just a small microscopic opening, boom, life pushes through. Growth pushes through. You know, you and I need to be like that that weed. (laughs) You and I need to be like that root that finds the crack, finds the opening, and pushes through. You know, there is a reference in Deuteronomy 28, verse 2, that the blessings of God will find you. When you and I are living in obedience to God, the blessings of God will find you. The favor of God will find you. They will come upon you. They will chase you down, and they will overtake you. Hallelujah. Paul found a friend, right? What I'm saying is God will help you find what's missing in your life right now, in this season of your life. God will help you. And it's astounding to me, as I mentioned earlier in a serendipitous way, Paul's journey intersects with Aquila and Priscilla's journey because, you know, they were basically kicked out of Rome, right? Uh, They were trying to get all the Jews out, apparently. And so they end up in Corinth, right, by really no choice of their own. But little did they know that they were going to cross paths, they were going to intersect with the Apostle Paul, who would end up becoming the most powerful, significant human that's ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. Because it was through Paul that the Gospels preached to the entire world, to the Gentile world. Now think of it, Corinth at that time was a city of about uh, 200,000 people, right? So a little bit smaller than Lubbock, Texas. And uh, there were 500,000 slaves in Corinth at this time. So uh, if you combine the slaves with the residents, about 700,000 people about the size of my former city, uh, Albuquerque. And with all these thousands of people, (laughs) Paul's path and Aquila and Priscilla's path, they meet up. There was some proximity and affinity involved here, right? Because they were followers of God. Paul was a follower of God and follower of Christ. They were believers they probably met at the synagogue, and when we're going to find out, they, they had the same profession. They were both tent makers. Now, we got to pause for a second and talk about Aquila and Priscilla because they are too significant, too important, a married couple to just like mention them by name and then just like sweep, uh, rush right over them. 
They became a very strategic partner to the ministry of Paul and to the early church, and that cannot be underestimated. Aquila and Priscilla were MVPs. They were most valuable players, and they are a model for married couples today. Uh, They had gifts, and they had character. They were outstanding, a husband and wife team. They ministered to the early church. They supported themselves by making tents while serving Christ. They became close personal friends to the Apostle Paul. And they had an understanding of God's Word and who Christ's Messiah was because they even explained and expounded to a great orator by the name of Apollos, teaching Apollos the deeper truths of Messiah, of Christ, and who he actually was. So there's a lesson from their example for all married couples today that you can be a married couple and you can have an effective ministry together. You can have a successful business together as as a married couple. Uh, You can give instructions to others and be a mentor to others as they were to Apollos uh, that we'll find out more as we continue to study here in in Acts chapter 18. Their home, (laughs) their home was available and became a local church early on. They evangelized through their home. Christians met in their home. They, uh, Paul was a part of that uh, hospitality that Aquila and Priscilla had, uh, and we see that in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. So every believer really needs to take their cue from this couple, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. And here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. After this verse that we just read about Aquila and Priscilla, they're never mentioned again as Aquila and Priscilla, but, but Priscilla and Aquila. <laughs> the next time that they're mentioned, I think they're mentioned five times in the Bible, it's not Aquila, the husband's name, who's mentioned first, but Priscilla. Her name is always mentioned first, then her husband Aquila, which simply means she had the more pronounced gift, and there's nothing wrong with that. So it's very intriguing, it's very interesting as you study more about this, uh, this couple And here's what uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said. God evidently does not intend us all to be rich or powerful or great, but he does intend for all of us to be friends. We all need friends in ministry. We all need friends in life. Galatians 6.2, Paul said, Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And that's exactly what Priscilla and Aquila did. They were burden bearers. They were an Aaron and a Hur. What Aaron and Hur were to Moses to help lift up his arms and his hands in the battles, uh, Priscilla and Aquila were to this great man of God, the Apostle Paul. So how are you like Priscilla and Aquila? How do you support the local church? How do you support the work of God? How do you support the man of God? May all of our marriages be like Priscilla and Aquila. So, people who change the world, number one, they are people, people of influence have friends. Number two, people of influence have a trade. People of influence have a trade. Once again, in verse three, now of Acts 18, it says, Paul lived and worked with them, so he stayed in their home, right? For they were tent makers just as he was. So there's that whole 
proximity and affinity. They were now living in the same city, Corinth. They had similar backgrounds. They had an affinity. They were Jews converted to Christ, Messianic Jews now. And uh, they had the same line of work, the same trade. They were tent makers. Now think of this, how God values work. I've always been fascinated by this ever since I became a Christian. And I believe it's what has always given me a, a good work ethic. And that is God comes to us in human form, Jesus. And before Jesus entered what we call full-time ministry at the age of 30, right? Baptized by John in the Jordan River and heaven's open. God says, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove. Boom, his full-time ministry starts. He's preaching, teaching, healing, preaching, teaching, healing, dying on a cross, buried, was raised to life, ascends to the Father where he, he, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, wherever he lives to make intercession for us until he returns again. Okay, that's, that's the story of Christ, right? Quickly, that's the story of Christ. But before he enters full-time ministry, what does he do? He's busy. Doing what? Working. He has a trade. He's a carpenter. The Son of God. God in human form comes to the earth and he uses his hands as a carpenter. And here's Paul, the most powerful human being that's ever lived outside of Christ because he's the one that proclaimed the gospel of Christ to the world, to the Gentile world, which eventually caused the formation of Western civilization as we know it. So in, in my view, he's the most powerful man in the world, definitely in the last 2,000, in the last 2000 years. And what does Paul do? He makes tents, right? He's a tent maker, a, a tent maker. So let me ask you this question. What do you make? Paul made tents. What do you make? You see, comedians make people laugh. Singers make people happy. Doctors make people well. Police officers make people safe. Entertainers make people feel good. Mothers make memories. Educators make people smarter. Ministers make people better. Farmers make the good Lord proud. <laughs> you like that one? Farmers make the good Lord proud especially in a crisis like we're in. Thank God for the farmers. Amen. But what do you make? Paul made tents, the most powerful man that's ever lived, the most important man that's ever lived outside of Jesus. He made something. He made dwelling places, tents for people to dwell in. Tents back in the time of Paul, primarily, they were used for commerce. They were used as a home. They were used to protect soldiers during battle, during warfare, because they were, they were mobile, tents, right? Paul made tents. The very first church in the Old Testament was called the tabernacle. It was a, it was a tent. It was a mobile church set up by Moses in the wilderness. What do you make? Listen, this is a, I'm going to say something very important to all the young men out there. Okay, this applies to women too. Please, women, uh, you're not going to be left out. But specifically, I want to speak to all the young men. Every man must prove he can make a living. Before you're ready to get married, before you're ready to have children, before you're ready to become the man God's called you to be, every man must prove 
he can make a living. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Write that down. 1 Peter 5, 8. Even God worked. Six days he created everything, right? And on the seventh day he rested from his work. First thing God did when he creates Adam in the garden before he ever created Eve, he gives Adam a job. He gives him work. He gives him work. God blesses work. He says, six days thou shalt what? Work. And then you, on the seventh day you shall rest. Work. Everybody say work. Work is, is a four-letter word. It's blessed of God. Amen. W-O-R-K, work. That's why we need to get America back to work. Hallelujah. I say mawa. What's mawa? M-A-W-A, mawa. Make America work again. I know we need to do it in a timely fashion. We need to do it in a responsible fashion. We need to protect the most vulnerable uh, because this, uh, this hideous disease is going to be around, the experts say for quite a while, and there's not going to be a vaccine, but you know what? Once again, the, 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 cure, the cure cannot be worse than the sickness. We need to get back to work. Now listen, we may not always have a job. This is, these are tough times. May, many of you may have lost your job, but you know what, friend? We always have work. There's always work, and God rewards work you stay busy. Find something to do that adds value to those that are in need, and God will bless you. God will promote you, and God will make a way. Listen, there are many, many channels of blessing in our life, right? Our jobs, maybe your retirement, investments, maybe an inheritance. You know, uh, there are many channels of blessing, but one source, and God is that source for all of us. The old saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop. That's why America needs to get back to work. There's no place for laziness in the kingdom of men or even in the kingdom of animals. You may not always have a job, but you always have work. You know, according to Jewish law, if a man did not bring up his son in a trade, and if a man did not teach his son a trade, he was bringing him up to be a thief. That's how important work has always been to the Jewish people. I was looking at the parables of Jesus. There are about 46 parables of Jesus, and I was astounded. 14 parables of Jesus were related to work. What did Paul do? He preached, yes. What did he do to help fund and have gainful employment while he preached? For many churches were unable to support Paul initially. What did he do? He made tents. You know, your work, your work is a portrait of who you are. It is an expression of worship to God. And it's never about what you do, but it's always about why you do it. That's why we're admonished in Scripture to do our work as unto the Lord and not unto men. What's your tent? All of us should be making something. What are you making and how are you supplying the world with what it needs? Famous, famous story. You've heard it before. Famous story of the three bricklayers. A traveler came upon three men that were working. He asked the first man what he was doing. The man said, I'm laying bricks. He asked the second man, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a wall. And then he asked the third man, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cathedral. 
Friend, are you simply laying bricks? Are you simply building a wall? Or are you building a cathedral? Hallelujah. So people who change the world, number one, are people of, that have friends. People of influence are pe- they're, they're, the people who change the world are people who have friends. Number two, people of influence have a trade. And finally, number three, people of influence, well, they have a church. Paul gets to a city, finds a friend or two, finds gainful employment, and the very next thing he does, he finds a church or a synagogue. Look at verses 4 and 5 once again of Acts 18. Each Sabbath, that means every, every Saturday. For the Jews, Sabbath was Saturday, and then it became Sunday for, for Christians. But every Sabbath found Paul at the local synagogue, which was a, like a New Testament church. And he was there trying to convince Jews and Greeks alike because there were the Greeks who were the proselytes. They had converted from heathen paganism to Judaism. And he was preaching to them to come to faith in Messiah, in Christ. And after Silas and Timothy came, two more friends, two more partners in ministry came down from Macedonia. Paul spent all his time doing what? Preaching the Word. There are many things that are important, many different expressions of ministry, all, all important, but listen, by far the most important thing we can do as a church, as followers of Christ, is preach the Word of the Lord. Preach God's Word. Testify to Jews and Greeks alike that Jesus was and is the Messiah. Fresh recruits come down from Macedonia, Silas and Timothy, they were partners in ministry for the, with the Apostle Paul. Paul moves into this brand new city. He finds friends. He finds gainful employment. He finds a job. And he finds a church. He finds a synagogue where he begins to go and share Christ with those individuals. I can't stress, nor can I underestimate, the importance of all of us following this pattern in our own life. We need friends. We need partners in ministry. Life's tough enough to go through it alone. We need to make sure that we find our gift, our calling, our skill, and maybe your ultimate passion, you're not going to be able to be paid to do that. That's okay. You can fund what your ultimate passion in life is by finding a trade, by finding something to do with your hands, by, by like Paul, he made tents. And then we have to make a priority. That, that church is not an afterthought. We do all that we do. The, the end result is so that we can build the church, build the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. If you treated church like you do your job, would you be unemployed? What I mean by that is some people are faithful when it comes to their job and their place of employment, and, and you should be. Because you do your work as under the Lord, and your work is a portrait of you, right? It's an expression of worship to God. But some people, if, if they missed work as much as they missed coming to church or, right now, being connected to church online, they would be out of a job. It is, at times, so sad to see how small the commitment of Christians today are. 
basket, how their commitment is, how small their commitment is, related to their involvement in their local church. May that not be you, my friend. People who change the world, people of influence have friends. People of influence have a trade. And people of influence have a church. We're stronger together. One can put 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. We want to be like the Spartans' phalanx, right? They're shields that locked together, that interlocked together, and they were almost impregnable, impenetrable. Uh, when these, these phalanx shields locked together, they, they could hold back thousands upon thousands of the enemy, right? Uh, because they, they, were, they were united together. When the church is united together, never ever underestimate the power of men and women following Christ together, doing His work together, prioritizing the message of Christ together to help change the world for Christ. That's what Paul did when he comes to this corrupt city of Corinth and eventually builds a great work for Christ there. There's a pattern. There's a blueprint for us to follow. I want to encourage you. Have friends. Continue to develop that trade, whatever it is, and make church. Continue to make church. Coming to church, being a part of church, giving to your local church, supporting your local church. Continue to make it a priority. And together, we will help make the world a better place. If you're watching, you're tuning in, and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ yet, or you need to rededicate your life to Christ, I want to encourage you, you can go hit the, you can hit the tab that says, uh, raise your hand if you want to accept Christ. Uh, there's instructions on Facebook Live right now. And I want to lead you in a prayer. It's not complicated. We're lost sinners in need of a Savior. God sent the Savior. It's His Son, Jesus. And the Bible says, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God and raise Him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer if you would like to surrender your life to Christ or rededicate your life to Christ. It goes something like this. Dear God in heaven, that's it. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and there's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart, come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive his love his grace, and his forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, you're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, please let us know. Uh, click the tab that says raise your hand if you accepted Christ. If you want further prayer, there's a tab you can click. On Facebook Live, there's some instructions. We believe we exist as a church to come alongside of you and help you continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. So let us know what the Lord has done in your life. We love you. God's blessings over you. Have an incredible rest of the weekend. And we'll see you for our next midweek service on Wednesday or next weekend. God bless.